Hi ladies, this is Hannah with the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. I just wanted to let you know before our regular episode about the Christian podcasting community which Esther and I are a part of. It can be found on the Striving for Eternity website. It's strivingforeternity.org. There are many wonderful podcasts in this community. Podcasts like The Rap Report, Theology Gals, Justin Peters will be doing a podcast on discernment in the future, the Five Solas podcast, and many others. We'd encourage you to go check it out. There will be a link in the show notes, and we hope that you enjoy them. God bless, ladies, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. My name is Hannah Oliver, and I'm here with my co-host, Esther Faulkner. Esther and I are both particular Baptists who hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. The Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast is an informal podcast for women with intelligent and literary interests related to Christian doctrine and life. Esther and I both have a passion to see unbelievers come to the faith, and so we hope that our material will be used for the furtherance of God's kingdom. We also have a passion for equipping women with the tools they need to exercise discernment, and we desire to see more Christian women understand and love the deep theology that is found in God's Word. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about our favorite thing, books. (laughs) (laughs) So We wanted to do just a really laid-back episode as we uh, come to the end of summer. So the plan today is that we are going to share some of our favorite books, both fiction and nonfiction books. Uh, This is, I I did not come prepared really. And Esther has this beautiful layout of questions. (laughs) So I'm very excited to find out what Esther's favorite books are. And I wrote some down, but I'm, I'm not as prepared as Esther is. All right. So first question is what are your favorite genres to read? Because every good blue stocking woman has multiple, <laughs> multiple genres that she reads and that she likes. So what are your favorites? Well, as a blue stocking Baptist, my top is going to be, of course, theology books. Who doesn't like a good theology book? Everybody has to have the the Bible's my favorite book. <laughs> Throw that in there. Uh, for fiction books, I really like psychological thrillers. I know that sounds weird. Weird. <laughs> but I absolutely love psychological thrillers. Um, especially if it has like a psychological thriller murder mystery with it. I don't like just murder mysteries. I find them to be boring. But if it's a psychological thriller, then I like it. Um, I also really like... Just recently, I've kind of discovered historical fiction. Oh, that's one of mine. And I absolutely love it. Something about it, I don't know. I, it just it stirs so many different emotions in my mind and makes me think about, like, deep, hard questions related to life. And <laughs> I don't know. I absolutely love it. So those would be probably my, my favorite. What about you? Well, like... Number one is historic fiction. I love, like, imagining that I lived back in the past and reading about people who, or reading about people who sound like they did. (laughs) (laughs) And and I like 
Uh, I like dystopian. Oh, I really like dystopian too. That's another <laughs> good one. <laughs> Those I like, and I really, really like Arthurian legend, like King Arthur stories of King Arthur. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. think I've ever. I don't think I've ever read a book about King Arthur. I also really boo. like what I said. Boo! You need to. Oh well, I guess I'm gonna have to think about it. <laughs> I guess that would fit kind of in like fantasy. Yes, I was about to say that. I really like fantasy a lot too. I especially like fantasy that has really weird religious elements to it. Because oh I really liked the book The Alchemist, and I've met a lot of Christians who don't like it because it pulls like Christian elements and then mixes it with like um eastern religion but uh-huh i don't know i just view it as a fantasy book so then i like it yeah huh. interesting yeah what are your top three favorite fictional books so my top three favorite fictional books um are pretty much all by susan how do you say her last name i just looked it up i think it's meisner, meisner. it's meisner it's German. Okay. Um, as Bright as Heaven was the first book that I read by her, and I just absolutely love it. It's a historic fiction. She wrote a story about a, a funeral home, um, or a, what's it called, an undertaker who, um, who dealt with the Spanish flu. And so it tells the Spanish flu through his eyes and like bodies being stacked up at his back door and um susan is as far as i understand a presbyterian and so there is like religious elements in it and it's like a wholesome wonderful book with the great characters so that's probably my favorite book by her i i like i literally love all of her books but i'm not going to name all of her books so another book that i really like that i actually just read recently it's called these is my words by nancy turner Nancy Turner took her family's history and kind uh -huh. of wrote this fictional story surrounding her great, I think it was her great, great grandmother about Sarah Agnes Prime. And it took place in the Arizona territories, which I thought was just so fascinating because a lot of it was true. Mm -hmm. And I live in Arizona. And so just like the familiarity of it and picturing what they lived like a hundred years ago, I think it was between 1891 and 1901 of like, her life and it was just witty and just cruel in a way because the hardships of life were just intense like death and murder and just living on the wild west and I normally absolutely hate anything that has to do with western like I do not <laughs> like the western genre at all but uh it was more just about the homestead life and uh pioneers and I don't know, it was super good. So that's a book that I plan to read again. I, I normally don't underline novels. Yeah. Um, and I don't multiple, either, but multiple times I had to get out a pen. Cause I was like, this is such a good quote. <laughs> like there was one quote when she was describing childbirth that it was something like, she was like, I don't know why. Oh, she had said something along the lines of, I understand why a woman doesn't get married because birth is like being torn apart by several horses <laughs> Ooh. And, then she, and then she said that um oh she said birth is something that you just have to submit to and then the baby's born I was like man that is 
like a really good description of birth. <laughs> kind of morbid, but either way. So I really liked that book. And then another one, a third one. I really liked a book recently. I don't know if I'd say this is my favorite book, but this is just something that I can think of most recent. Um, I read a book called Necessary Lies by Diane Cham Chamberlain. And uh -huh. it was about um, historic fiction again. And she she took, I don't know what year it was. Basically, she wrote about the eugenics movement in America of when they were sterilizing the poor, the uneducated, and um, black women and men. And it was from a social worker's perspective and then a young woman who was poor who ended up getting pregnant um, just before they were going to sterilize her. And it you have like a lot of sympathy and compassion for the social worker. Like, I don't know, you can kind of understand why the social worker is doing what she's doing. It kind of mm -hmm. seems like a noble cause. And then you see these lives of these people who are poor and um, don't have a lot of resources or access to things. And they're just being basically deemed by the government unfit to parent. And there was just lots and lots of moral questions that com kept coming up into my mind on both sides. Like, man, this is just not okay. So that book really last, left an a impact on me and I researched some about the eugenics movement in America and then the link to Hitler you know all that stuff so hmm. I think it's called the eugenics project in America or something but really good book so those I'd say are my interesting that I can think of so Esther what are your top three favorite fictional books okay so I have four down so I'm going to eliminate one by the end of this. So I know for sure The Great Gatsby is in my top three. Oh, that's my husband's favorite book. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. And it fits into historic, historical fiction. And I love it. No, I like, it's not that I just love like the storyline of it because the storyline is a tragedy and it mm -hmm. really has a sucky ending. But like, Fitzgerald just tells the story really beautifully. It's almost like a, a Romeo and Juliet. Like Romeo and Juliet is a tragedy. Yeah. Yet, yet it's a beautiful story. And I just love the twenties. So it's on there as my in my top three. Uh, second would be The Mists of Avalon by uh, Marion Bradley. Okay. It is a twist on the legend of King Arthur, where it's told through uh, Guinevere and um, um, Morgan Le Fay. It's told through their point of view, and it's really, really good. It's she, the author, is just a really good storyteller, and when you read it, it doesn't feel like anything is just like. A throwaway every every bit of the everything that she writes is meant to be in the book good it's just really good I love it <laughs> and then third favorite book is technically a play mm -hmm. is much ado about nothing by Shakespeare have you 
Have you ever read that or I'm, watched a movie or a play? I am not educated, so the answer is going to be no. <laughs> you need I, to. That's not totally true. Okay, I've in so I grew up in Lake Tahoe, and every year uh, in Sand Harbor, it's on the North Shore and on the Nevada side of Lake Tahoe. They uh-huh. do a um, Shakespearean festival. Is that how you say that? Or Shakespearean? Yeah. Festival. Shakespearean. A sh- okay, I was right. A Shakespearean festival. And um, it's like on the beach and there's all these chairs. And I do remember my grandma taking me to one when I was probably like 14. What? Gosh, it's is there one called Midnight Something? <laughs> yes. Midnight Summer's Dream. There you go. I saw Midnight Summer's Dream in a play form. I have... Oh. No recollection of anything that was in that play. Um, but of course, like I know, I know the story of Romeo and Juliet. And yeah. Yeah. I, well, I know okay. Elements, but I've never actually you, sat down and read them. You would really, really appreci- appreciate Much Ado About Nothing because it's a comedy. Okay. Like, like what we would consider a comedy today. Like there's mm-hmm. actual humor in it. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, it's very witty and it's basically like if you've ever seen a movie or read another book where it's like there's two characters there's a guy and a girl and uh like to their to their faces like they don't like each other but they really do like each other but neither one of them wants to admit that they like the other so they go round and round until finally one of them falls tells in love the other, yeah, yeah, or that they admit it, and it's it's like the origin sto- origin of that story of that plot, and it's fantastic. It's well, so entertaining. I do have a beautiful golden with red red lettering on my bookshelf of Shakespeare's work. So, oh, you have to read it then. I'll crack it open, and then you need to watch the. They made a really great film. It has um, Emma Thompson in it. Do you know who that is? Yes, I know who Emma Thompson is. Yes, she plays Beatrice. She plays the the girl, the main girl in it, and she is fantastic in it. Well, I can't promise you that I'm going to see that movie, <laughs> but I will try to read the story. Okay, good. So I guess those are just, those are my three top favorite. My fourth would be, if I could pick a fourth, this is the one that got knocked off the list and beat out by the other three, is... Um, <laughs> Lois Lowry's The Giver. Oh, I love The Giver. <laughs> I absolutely love The Good. Giver. You know what? I think I'm going to use that one for the next one because I'm like, uh, for the next question, because I'm like looking through old books that I have in Goodreads and I can't yeah. think of like a book that's really changed my life, but yeah. I think that one comes pretty close. Well, then, do you want me to ask you the next question? Well, yeah, I guess I already answered it. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, next question. What is a, or give a fictional book that has changed your life? So I already kind of said it, The Giver, <laughs> but that's kind of, I, I don't know if it really is though, cause there probably is like a book that really did, but I don't know. I guess if it changed your life, then you would really know. Yeah. But the Giver did really impact me a lot. When was the first time that you read The Giver? Okay, so the first time that I ever read The Giver, I can remember distinctly sitting, it was fourth, fifth grade. So I was sitting in fourth and fifth grade reading time with my favorite, my all-time favorite teacher, Mrs. Lord, and she was reading it to us, 
as like a story time, which is interesting that fourth and fifth graders would be reading story times. But then again, <laughs> I literally feel like in my brain, I'm still a fourth or a fifth grader. So maybe I just find it weird because I've all, I don't know. <laughs> That's a different <laughs> subject. But that was the first time that I ever read it. And then I remember when the movie came out, I was super excited. But that was probably one of the the first books that I ever read because um, I didn't really get into reading until I was an adult. So I read very few books until like the, I've, I've only been an avid reader for probably the last three or four years. So <laughs> I gotcha. I remember the first time I read The Giver, I was in seventh grade and it was one of the, like, you know how you like have a reading book with different yeah. stories that you go through. Well, we had a really good seventh grade teacher and we just did novels the whole year. And that was one of the novels that we picked. And I, I really like The Giver because it kind of, it's, it's dystopian. Yes. And it's fantasy, but it's also like science fiction too. Like I remember, I remember reading it and reading about what's the main character, Jonah. No, is it Jonas? Jonas. Jonas. It's Jonas. Yeah, that's right. That sounds right. I'm going to Google it, but I'm pretty sure it's Jonas. I really thought it was like, or noticed that it was science fiction or I picture it being science fiction whenever Jonas and his family, like they get served the meals and the injections. Uh And it was like, man, it was really like the first, the first time I was introduced to dystopian, the dystopian genre, which I really, really like, like I said. So yes, but to like, I take back what I said earlier. Like, I also really like dystopian science fiction. I actually love science fiction books, but sometimes I find them really difficult to read if it's too heavy on science fiction. And then yeah. I prefer science fiction in a film. That's probably my favorite film. <laughs> like, my favorite <laughs> film genre. Um, but even, I mean, Google, good old handy Google, uh, says that it first appears to be a utopian Yes. <laughs> but then it's revealed to be a dystopian as the, Those are the best. That's like the best kind. Cause it kind of like it, it cuts, cuts your, <laughs> cuts, I can't even talk. <laughs> it kind of catches you su- by surprise. Yeah. And the, have you ever read gathering blue? It's one of another books or it's another no. book by Lowry. I read gathering blue just recently. It's actually not uh-huh. terrible. Uh, isn't that isn't that supposed to be like the follow up to it or the sequel? Yeah, but what's weird about it cuz there's three three yeah. of those books that are supposed to kind of take place all in the same world and I liked yeah. Gathering Blue. I, if I remember correctly, she was blind. There was something wrong with her. Like she had a deformity and when you had a deformity, you kind of got kicked out of this village. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it I don't know, it just it didn't feel like it fit with mm-hmm. The Giver. It was very different. Um but still kind of that dystopian aspect yeah. to it of like, oh, this is kind of weird. But it kind of went from dystopian to utopian in, the, in yeah. that story. It was kind of the opposite. But I've noticed that there's been like a big – I remember and it was I think my 10th grade year. No, it might have been 11th grade. I had a, a great English teacher and – all we did for, for the semester that we had English was um, dystopian novels. Oh, really? And yes. And at the end of the semester, our um, final exam was we had to do a paper on something inspired by this, the dystopian novels. And I wrote my paper on why 
we as a society are so uh so what is it i guess not like interest i guess it would be so interested in that genre and uh-huh. basically basically the conclusion i came to is like we like the idea of a of a world worse than our own so that we can kind of escape ours because that we read we read v for vendetta we read 1984 uh we read uh the hunger games Mm -hmm. and i want to say that we did read the giver it might have been that we told her that we had already read the giver before and we could just add it to our essay as a resource um, but that was a really good year because I loved reading all of his books. I don't, I've never read 1984 and I've heard it's like one of those books that you absolutely have to read. It's probably the one that I would say changed, changed my life. <laughs> well, uh, just, there we go. <laughs> just, just because like, I mean, it's, it's again, it's like almost like the great Gatsby and the way that it's kind of a tragedy um and there's no real resolve in it but it kind of exposes you to at least George Orwell's way of looking at the world and it's actually it's kind of good from like from a Christian perspective reading it and to like better do apologetics to somebody who's interesting somebody somebody who's kind of hopeless um but it's really really good and it makes you like I mean, that's the whole, that's where the big idea of Big Brother came from, was from 1984. It's really good. Okay, well, you answered the question of what book changed your life. So I guess you can answer, start off for, uh, for or you can start off what your favorite, favorite children's book is, whether it's a picture book or like a, a novel written for a child. Okay, I have two. <laughs> My picture book. My my short picture book, children's book, is um, Handy Dandy Helpful How. Okay. By Michael Waite. And it's a fantastic little book. <laughs> so my mom got that book for us whenever, I think I was, I was probably six. And then my siblings were all born. So like my brother was baby and my sister was, she was two years younger than me. So she was like four. But it was a really good book, and it's like it's about this guy who comes like and helps a family learn how to do their chores. It's just a really good book, and it's fun. Um, and then my favorite children's chapter book is Afternoon in the Amazon, the Magic Treehouse book. Oh, I used <laughs> to love Magic Treehouse. I I had probably every single one and I hate that I gave them away whenever I was a kid because they were such great books I only had a handful of them um and like I said I didn't really get into reading until I was much older but I do remember liking those books Captain Underpants and My Little House on the Prairie I read because my grandma promised to pay me twenty dollars if I finished them (laughs) and it also took me like four years to finish them but those were those aren't my favorite though, but Those, guess- they're, they're so good. I mean, it's like every time I remember reading them and, or like every time we would go to like Walmart because they would sell them at Walmart, mm-hmm. I would go and pick one out. Cause it was like, when you read it, you felt like you were going to wherever, what was her wherever name? Wherever it was. Mary I don't Pope remember. Osborne, I think was her name. 
and um, you just get to go all over the world. It's a great book. Great books. Those were good books. So I guess my favorite children's book, and this is more of like a series. Have you ever heard of uh, um, Alice in Bible Land? No. Oh, so <laughs> I have them for Noah. My mom kept them and gave them to me. And it's, it's a series of like 50 books. And um, you, you probably would, you would not like them because there's uh, two CVs in them. <laughs> oh, Alice but in Bible Land. I'm I looking know. it up right now. Oh, I've never seen these before. Yeah. So Alice, it's, it's, it's kind of written in a, a rhythmic poetic form, almost like sing songy. I can't really describe it, but it has this flow to it where it's very like uppity. Yeah. Very lyrical. So it's like, um, take me where I want to go. Kind of, I'd have to grab the book and I could read it how my mom read it to me growing up. But Alice, (laughs) she opens her book and then she goes in, well, she opens the Bible and then she goes into Bible land. And so it'll be like the story of Moses or the story of, um, Esther or whatever. And then when Esther gets back, there's like a practical application of what she learned. They're a little bit moralistic. Um, but it's like veggie tales. Yeah. It's kind of like veggie tales, but whatever. It's still my favorite. <laughs> it's veggie tales. It's is also my favorite. So. <laughs> it's almost like the, um, it's like Christian magic tree house. <laughs> Yes, awesome. it, is, it is Christian Magic <laughs> Treehouse. And I don't know, I just, they made such an impact on me when I was a kid because I knew that the stories that Alice was going to were true. Though they're written in more yeah. of a story form, it's not like it's the literal Genesis account of Adam and Eve. Um, yeah. It's, it's storybook, it's a storybook children's Bible kind of a layout. But I don't know, that and VeggieTales made an impact on me in a kid, when I was a kid, so... And, I gotcha. Yeah. So that would probably be like my favorite children book series. Um, and then my favorite children's chapter book is a book called Kira Kira. And I don't know why, but this book made such an impact on me. I, the first time I read it, I was, I think I, I was in third grade and I'd read it for a book report, super easy book. Um, and it was about this Asian family who, um, came over to America. They were immigrants and her father worked in a chick farm. Mm. And it's like this story of their family and the, um, her sister ends up getting cancer. And so it takes a very tragic turn. Mm -hmm. And I read it every year. I would do a book report. I would read Kira Kira. (laughs) And so like third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, like not even joking every year I would go get Kira Kira. And then I would do a book report on it because I just loved it so much. Um, good thing that teachers don't communicate with other teachers each grade you yeah. go up. Otherwise. <laughs> you be plagiarizing yourself. <laughs> I know, but I, I just loved it so much. And I remember even as a child, like crying, reading it. And I feel like if you're a child and a book can make you cry, then it's a good book. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm going to check that one out. It stirred a lot of emotion in me and I haven't read it in a really long time, but mm. I don't know. I, there'll be like because they would hide like money in a jar behind their bathtub. Like there's just elements to it that stick with me. Random things will be happening and I'll think of a scene in Kira Kira. Like, so probably that book actually did change my life over the giver. It sounds like it. I know. But (laughs) anyway, there you have it. So that's, those are my favorites. Okay. 
Awesome. All right, next question. Who is your favorite fictional character? This one's easy. Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. That's a good one. I love Harry Potter. Oh, that's a really good one. Oh, gotcha. What about you? Um, probably going back to the much ado about, about nothing. Beatrice. Beatrice and Benedict. That couple. The arguing couple. The witty couple. I like them. Um, villain. I couldn't come up with a villain. I put that there, but I couldn't even come up with one. Maybe the um, from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The um, the witch is is that what she? Yeah. No, I don't remember what her name is. I think I don't remember what her name is either. Yeah, she's a very unlikable. But I mean, that's what a villain is supposed to be. It's supposed to be unlikable and. She's probably my most hated villain. I haven't read those <laughs> books since I was a kid. Well, apparently, I'm like starting to realize I actually did read as a kid. <laughs> yeah, you did? Well, look at that. That's kind of surprising. I didn't like reading, though. There, I guess that would be why I imagine that my life was not filled with books as a child. The, the Chronicles of Narnia is a really good, really good series to get on Audible. Oh, really? And if you don't know this, and listeners, if you don't know this, there's a there's an app called LibriVox, which is like all of classic literature, audiobooks for free. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's all of the recordings are done by volunteers. Oh. So it's a really cool. And they have all of the, they've got all Shakespeare. They've got all Jane Austen. They've got, uh, Mark Twain, they have all of the Chronicles of Narnia. They even have some really good, they've got like older, like Christian theology books. Like they've oh. got, I think they have uh, even John Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion. I'm going to have there. to look that up. You're going to have to send me yeah. Because I just recently got into <laughs> audiobooks yeah. like when I'm cleaning and stuff. Yeah. Um, because I don't really like listening to music. I'm actually totally not a music fan. Now you know. And so I like, I know I'm pathetic. And so I like to listen to audiobooks. Um, I got you. Anyway, so I listen to our podcast anytime that I want to clean. There you go. I listen Just, to our podcast like four times before it even gets posted. And then once after to make sure that it's, <laughs> that it's okay for other people to be listening to. So I don't, I don't <laughs> listen to our podcasts when I'm cleaning. <laughs> So, Ezra, what are your top three nonfiction books? Okay. This was easier. So, top three nonfiction books. First one is called Proof, Finding Freedom Through the Intoxicating Joy of Irresistible Grace. Okay. By um, Daniel Montgomery and Timothy Paul Jones. Okay. And it was actually a book that um, my pastor recommended to me whenever I was I started asking him a bazillion questions about tulip and the doctrines of grace and John Calvin and Calvinism he was just like here read this book it's really good it's a really good resource and I read it and it turns out it's one of the best resources it's where I first was exposed to things like what a catechism was okay what a confession was um it's really really good it's a good resource and anytime that like 
somebody's floating in the waters of wondering what Reformed theology is, I first give them that. Um, it's a great book. Um, second would be uh, No Little Women by Amy Bird. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's a, it's a good book. It's such a good book. It's so good. It's like, it's like what so many, I think, of us women who love theology and women who have loved theology for a long time have been wanting to tell other women and pastors. And she just wrote it all. And it's, I even, I, I had a copy of it and I, I lent it to one of our elders and I was like, can you please read this, read this and then pass it on? Cause I think everybody should read it. I mean, since we're on that topic, let's kind of talk about No Little Women because it's also one of my top three. Oh, yay! <laughs> no Little Women was probably one of the most influential books. I mean, I've had a lot of Christian books that are really influential, but for nonfiction books, that one was super influential um, because it exposed me to concepts and ideas that I pretty much never really heard of. Cause, yeah. Because my background's Pentecostal, which people who've been listening know that. And then I was charismatic, charismatic. (laughs) And then I was bouncing around in non-denominational churches who had no respect for church government. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't really have any understanding of like why women are not to be pastors because so the church that I grew up in, they had women pastors, but then I would like wrestle with the verse in Timothy and be like, okay, well, it says that women aren't to be pastors. And then I'd get really confused. Like Mm -hmm. what's a woman's role? Where is she supposed to be? If she can teach in what capacity? And since I didn't have any really no doctrine whatsoever on the church, I had nowhere to like, I, I had no way to explain it. I had no way to like ground myself like, yes, I knew what the Bible said, but I didn't know how to practically apply it. I don't know if that makes any sense. But that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> Amy Bird's book really showed me, like, this is what the local church is. This is why it matters. This is why women are not to be pastors, teachers. And it gave me a pretty high view of church. Mm-hmm. So go figure. Everybody who's always bagging on Amy Bird <laughs> made me have a high view of church. Um, and then what else do I really like about Amy Bird's book? I really, I liked at the end of it, how, or towards like the last chapters, uh-huh. she gives like examples, like almost like a workbook style of what's wrong. Like, look at this, try and discern this. And it like, let you practice those discerning skills. And I was just uh-huh. like, wow, I probably wouldn't have noticed that if I just read this you know, and didn't, you know, sit and think about what the author was saying. And I love how she, she had guts and, and called out some really prominent, popular female teachers Mm -hmm. and gave really good reasons, you know, for why she says, you know, have caution with these, with Mm -hmm. these teachers. Mm -hmm. She has guts. Yeah. I love Amy Bird. (laughs) <laughs> I absolutely love her. I was actually thinking about reading it again because it's been probably two and a half years since I've read it. And you know how it is. You read a book, it's really impactful, but then slowly things start to fade out of your mind. Yeah. So I was thinking about reading it again because it was one of those books that I was like, man, this book has made an impact on me. But mm-hmm. anyway, you still have one more book. So back to my you. La- <laughs> my last, my my third favorite nonfiction book is... is uh, the Gospel According to Rome by James McCarthy. Oh, 
I've never heard of that book. Oh, it is a, it's meant to help you understand the differences between Roman Catholicism and Christianity. Uh, and it, what it does is the author was, uh, James McCarthy was a Roman Catholic, a devout mm-hmm. Roman Catholic. Like he grew up, he could, he could breathe out like, and quote any part of the, the Roman Catholic catechism. And what he does is he goes through the catechism and shows basically, he gives a picture of what it would be like for a adult to become a Catholic, what they would have to become a Roman Catholic, what they would have to believe according to the catechism. It goes through, he takes like what an, what somebody from infancy would have to go through to be a good Roman Catholic. And each chapter compares, you know, the catechism to what the Bible teaches. Oh, wow. That sounds really good. It's, it's a great, great tool. Um, I think before I read it, I always feared coming across a Roman Catholic who knew church history mm-hmm. and uh, reading it has given me a lot of confidence, especially going to a country that's majority yeah. Roman Catholic. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a, it's a really good book and it's really easy to read. He doesn't, he doesn't make it complicated at all. Um, it's just a really great resource. That's good to know. I'm going to keep yeah. that. I'm going to write that in my yeah. mental notebook. <laughs> so I'm not going to make you ask the question since people know what we're talking about. Um, okay. I, I have like 10 books written down. Do we have any other questions about theology books or can I just like list some books that I just love? <laughs> can it be more than um, Uh Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. You just tell me to stop if I'm going too long. I'm like, so, okay, Hannah. <laughs> I, I had to have been in college. I think I was in college. Um, I only went to college for six months, so does not count. It was like glorified <laughs> Bible, Bible camp. Um, but I, I had read a book by Charles Swindoll called Job, A Man of Heroic Endurance. Mm-hmm. And it's part of his Great Lives from God's Word series. And I've, I've read one other, um, I think on David or Moses. I might have read David and Moses, because I know I read one for a class of mine, but anyway, I'm getting off topic. <laughs> Job, a man of heroic endurance. And the t- at the time that I read it, um, it just, it made a, a big impact on me. Um, my husband and I had read Job together when we were in high school. Every Monday we would Skype and we'd read a book in the Bible. For whatever reason, we, cho- we chose Job. And I remember Job being such a difficult book to understand. I probably re- read Job a dozen times before I even kind of understood what Job was about. <laughs> and so Charles, uh, Charles Swindoll's book on it just kind of helped me a lot. And mm-hmm. like my review on Goodreads, cause I feel like it's easier to just read what I wrote, but <laughs> I wrote one of my all time favorite books, gave me a sense of wonder and joy about the goodness of God. And this book helped me to understand the story of Job and understand the gospel more clearly. I, abs- I absolutely love Job and I love Charles Swindoll. This book is slow, but worth the read in time. And I actually don't know a whole lot about Charles Swindoll other than the couple of books that I've read on his um, God series. But I don't know. I absolutely love that. And that book actually kind of stirred in me such a deep love for Job that Job's actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. So there's that one. And then another book that I absolutely love is Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. I kind of, when I had read it, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was kind of holding this position that 
um, I don't know if you'd call it hyper Calvinism. I don't know what it would be, but I kind of had this position of that the things that happened in life were always for God's glory, but not necessarily your good. And I don't know where I got that idea, but I kind of was just like a cynic and like, and just had the attitude that everything's for God's glory, even if it really hurts you, whatever, kind of get over it. So I had this just like weird view of how God views us, I guess you could say. So reading yeah. Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, I had read it with a women's Bible study, had no idea like these were even ideas in my mind. I think I just kind of like accepted them and moved on. And this book really helped to show like everything that happens is for both God's glory and my good. And mm. it was kind of like an epiphany, like, oh, <laughs> apparently things happen for my good as well. And, um, so I absolutely love trusting God. I tell everyone I know to read trusting God. Jerry Bridges was Presbyterian or Jer not a Presbyterian. Jerry Bridges was, um, a part of navigators. He is a Calvinist and, um, I don't know. I just really love Jerry Bridges book books. And after I'd read trusting God, I read, this was a couple years ago now, I think I read like five books back to back to back <laughs> by Jerry Bridges. And they all impacted me in different ways. So I absolutely love Jerry Bridges. And then another book that I absolutely love is standing on the rock by James Montgomery Boyce. I've recommended this book in the past, so I'm not really going to yep. into it. And then I also absolutely love uh, is man the measure by Norman Geisler. Um, I think I've mentioned that book in the past as well. Norman Geisler is a, I think an Arminian, but handles it. Like I absolutely love the way that he handled the subject. <laughs> um, other than that, I think, I think the other book that I wouldn't say I absolutely love it, but that was like super helpful to me was nine marks of a healthy church by Dever. And I had read that book after I read Amy Bird's book. And that uh -huh. just kind of helped like solidify, solidify. Yes. Just solidify yeah. everything that Amy Bird kind of talked about and give me a, a walls to the foundation that Amy helped to build for me through the word of God. So that's awesome. Those are the books that <laughs> I don't know how many I read. And then I also like Defining Deceptions by Costi Hinn. I'm just going to toss that in there because uh -huh. everybody needs to read that book. <laughs> All the books. All the books. Here you go, guys. Just read all of them. So Esther, what is your favorite short story? My favorite short story is called The Most Dangerous Game. I've never heard of it before. Is it short enough to read on here? <laughs> no, it's not that short. <laughs> I guess that would be a copyright infringement anyway. So yeah. Just ignore me. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not a Christian book either, so no teaching purposes. Um, but the most dangerous game it's been a long time since I read it but it was one that I thought of and I I love short stories um because they're the ones that I really like are normally like like they've got mystery to them mm -hmm. and so the most dangerous game basically is about a guy who gets stuck on an island with a family who um or with this guy it's a it's his family but it's just this main guy and basically talks him into playing a game and he later finds out that the game is or the most dangerous game that he's talking about isn't hunting 
an animal. It's actually hunting humans. I feel like and, you've told me about this before. Really? Someone has. This sounds like super familiar. There's there's a movie on Netflix that just got released that is kind of similar to it, and I wonder if it's based on the short story or not. Um, but it originated with the short story. Send it to it's me. It's a little bit different. It's like it's like a horror movie on Netflix. Well, don't send the movie to me, but send the short story to me. Send the yeah, short okay. story to me because I sound it sounds like something that I'd really like because I yeah. actually hate short stories. So there's that. <laughs> So maybe it's a short story I would like. <laughs> you would, I, I like it. If I remember, if I remember correctly, I think he might escape. I don't remember though. <laughs> anyway, um, huh. yeah, that's my favorite because it's just it's real. I remember it being really, really suspenseful. And so you like you like thrillers too, then, even though you think it's I like, weird that I like them. I like that thriller. Because it was just like, what? That's the most dangerous game, hunting people? It's crazy. <laughs> Maybe I would. I'm going to try some of your books. I can give you some that are not like, like, I don't like gory books. I don't like descriptive books. Like, obviously, we're Christians, so we're not, like, advocating you go read, like, some ridiculously gory or ridiculously. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. But yeah. I have some pretty good psychological thrillers that are not, like, inappropriate either they're just suspenseful because it's just this mystery of like you're trying to solve a puzzle and I actually really love puzzles so that's probably why I like psychological thrillers is because there's you just you're trying to figure out who's who what's what trying to guess what's happening and if a psychological thriller can like trick me to not see the outcome I absolutely love it like (laughs) absolutely love it I'm like yes I was tricked (laughs) Did you do you like the um what is it called the tale of Algernon? Did you I don't, ever read that? I, it sounds familiar, but I don't think I ever read it. It's by um, Edgar Allan Poe, I think. Oh no, I no, I haven't. Then you would like that one. I'm pretty See, sure. You, I remember in like seventh grade, I didn't like Edgar Allan Poe. I felt like he was just no. Maybe I just googled it real quick, and it's there's one called Flowers for Algernon by Daniel keys but i don't think that's the right one i'll find the one that i'm thinking of that you'd like and get back to you will you keep me updated i don't have a favorite short story because like i said i don't like short stories <laughs> um okay. but what about, I, what about I, the I, yellow what about the <laughs> yeah <laughs> what, what about the yellow wallpaper do you like that one the yellow wallpaper yeah who's that by uh i don't remember no, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Short stories to me are like names of music. Like I couldn't, if a song played, I could not tell you who, who, who made it. Like I, even if a song was on by Taylor Swift, I probably wouldn't know that it was Taylor Swift. So I feel like I'm the same with short stories. If you're like, oh, oh have you ever heard this short story? I'd be like, no. Oh. <laughs> now you know. Okay. Um, we're learning a lot about one another. <laughs> yes. What is your, I already told you my favorite book of the Bible is Job. I mean, the whole Bible should be our favorite. But what is your favorite book of the Bible? <laughs> My, can I do Old Testament, New Testament? Yeah, sure. Okay. Old Testament, you said yours was Job. Yes. Um, my favorite in Old Testament is Numbers. Really? Yes. That's weird. 
I mean. No, it's not. To each their own. Noah's name actually comes from numbers, so. I really, I like the, how, like, you can see God's patience with the Israelites where they're constantly complaining about, I, I think there's, I see humor in it because it's like, I, like if, if I were God and the Israelites were my people and they did the things that they did, like I would not have the patience to deal with them. And God did. And like, it's just great to see that God is so patient to deal with people who, when they complained about not having food, he gave them food and then they complained about it. And I just really you know, like them. Like in an Israelite fashion. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I mean, I do, I guess, I guess it's not that weird when you describe <laughs> it like that. Because yeah. Noah's name, NOA, people think that it's like Noah's Ark, but it's uh-huh. not. Noah's <laughs> name comes from the daughters, the five daughters of Zelophehad. Uh-huh. And uh, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. And I actually, we have a, a little girl in our church whose name is Tirza. So, and I knew another little Aww. girl named Tirza too. But so that's Numbers 27. And I like yeah. that story because Moses gives the women uh-huh. their inheritance, basically. Yeah. And women were bold enough to ask Moses for their land because there was no men or redeemers or whatever to take. There's just no man in sight to take their land. Yep. And so their land was not theirs to take. And Moses asked God and God granted it that the daughters could have their father's land. So I just like that story because it was just bold women willing to mm-hmm. go to the prophet and petition for their right. Yeah. So they have it. Yeah. That's why I like it too. <laughs> All right, so what's your, what's your favorite in the New Testament? Uh, my favorite in the New Testament used to be Romans, probably, because, you know, like every cage sage Calvinist, <laughs> Romans is their favorite. But as time's gone on, probably uh, I really like Galatians. Hmm. I was reading um, another really good book is a commentary by John Brown. I think, I think he's Presbyterian. Me and the Presbyterians are just as a subject for a different day. <laughs> you'd be a Presbyterian if they didn't sprinkle babies, right? What's that? <laughs> I said you'd be a Presbyterian if you didn't if they didn't sprinkle babies. No, because I hold to a Baptist ecclesiology, but <laughs> I just they try to make me one. Those Presbyterians are after me. But anyway, besides the point, I'm not going to be talking about <laughs> my my soft spot for Presbyterians. I love this commentary by John Brown on Galatians and I had started reading it when I was learning about um, Hebrew roots because I found it like challenging to refute, uh, refute people who said that we need to keep the law. And so that commentary was super helpful. I actually never finished it, but Galatians, that's my favorite with a good commentary (laughs) alongside I gotcha. Did you say your favorite book in the New Testament? No, you didn't. No. What's yours? <laughs> my my favorite is First John. You know, I actually really like First John too. I like First John because that's 
first John chapter one is what God used to show me that I was a lying sinner and that I needed him. So I really like it. <laughs> I tried to start memorizing first John and I think I got through like the first 12 verses, but <laughs> I really, really like first John. I actually read John Calvin's commentary on first John. I think you'd like it. If you like first John, you'll probably like to talk about first John. Yeah. The eyes of John Calvin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time whenever I was reading through it and I was like, this is stupid. Like, this is so mean. <laughs> and then it convicted me. First John was hard for me coming. <laughs> like I had more of like a Lordship salvation view of yeah. repentance and salvation. And yeah. so kind of made me more of a fruit inspector because first John used to be one of my favorite books. I have a more balanced view on First John now. Let's just say that. But First John's a good book. Mm -hmm. So Esther, to kind of wrap up our episode, I don't know how long we've been talking. This has been it's been a good episode for me and you. I don't know if anybody's going to be continuing to listen to this. But <laughs> what are you reading right now? I am reading The Midwife by Gay, Gay Quarter. Uh-huh. Five Half-Truths by Flip Michaels. The Distinctiveness of Baptist Covenant Theology. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> by Pascal. Pascal. Denal. Denal. Uh -huh, I think it's Denal. And The Lamb of God by Nancy Guthrie. I've got a bookmark in all of those. I was thinking about picking up The Distinctive of Baptist Covenant Theology again. Because when I first read it, I had, I had no understanding of covenant theology or any understanding of 1689 federalism. And so yeah. it was like, whoop, right over my head. I think I would, I would definitely get more from it now than I did yeah. when I read it like a year and a half ago. But It's definitely something like, like you have to chew on. Yeah. Like you can only read like one or two pages at a time. And then you're yes. like, I have no idea yeah. what I just read. I'm going to have to go back and read it. <laughs> yes. That book's hard. Yes. You, you liking, um, historic, historical fiction, you would really like the midwife. I remember you telling me about it. Cause you said that you finished watching call the midwife on Netflix yes. and then you were all torn up about it. And you told, <laughs> you told me about the book. I think I would like it. Cause I like those types of stories. It's fantastic. I love it. All right. Now, what are you reading now, Hannah? So I read like 50 books at a time. It's just the reality. So I'm just going to name the ones that I'm like actively reading because I set some aside. Uh, <laughs> Jordan 2 sent me his book, Small Town Churches, Challenging the Culture in Theology. It's like a really short book, but I found it really interesting because he talks about the culture of small town churches and their, um, what's the word I'm looking for? their tendencies as little country churches because um, he's a small town guy. So he's, he's kind of looking at it as like, I'm one of you. These are the problems that I see. And I'm not a small town girl. I've been in cities my whole life. So it's just kind of an interesting perspective to read through somebody who's been in small churches his whole life and like moralistic teaching and stuff like that. So anyway, and I'm, I'm not super far into it, but I'm reading that. I'm reading a book called Jesus Land, a memoir. Mm -hmm. In this book, I would not call a Christian book. She, this woman is um, telling her life story in the South. She, what, 
makes me so uncomfortable about this book is that her family are um, Dutch Calvinists or mm-hmm. Dutch Reformed. And they, like, there's aspects in it where it's like, we go to Calvinettes and Calvinots class, like just things like that, that are very, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's too close to home because her story is like her mom is really abusive and but supports missionaries around the world and is like this super loving wonderful woman to everyone else but at home is like abusive and mean and cold and won't ever hug her daughter and her brother's a black well she's got two black brothers and um just like she's sexually assaulted and i don't know it's a really intense memoir and it's told in story form um which i think most memoirs are but anyway so i'm reading that book and i'm i am actually really enjoying it i don't know how it's going to end i can't recommend it to you if you're like um squirrely because i haven't finished it and i don't know the direction (laughs) it's going so i'm just letting you know that's what i'm reading um i'm reading rosaria butterfield's the gospel comes with a house key i actually that's like, uh, give it like a three out of five star. Mm. There's like some things that I'm processing about it, but I'm reading that book. Um, what else am I reading? I was reading Michael Horton's book, Christless Christianity and his book, Christ the Lord. And I kind of pick them up, but they're heavy books just because I have to really like digest what he's saying because he quotes like a lot of people and so I really want to understand like what he's quoting and just understand it well so I'm reading those two books and then my pastor gave me a book on biblical theology by the nine marks guys but I had set that aside just because I've been having a lot going on but he gave me that book and that book's good so and then the bible I'm reading the (laughs) bible okay everyone just (laughs) That's the thing. That's the thing about books is like you get a couple of books and you start reading them and then people start releasing new books and it's like, oh, I need to learn about that. Yes. And then you get those books and then you have a bazillion books to finish and then more books come out and you just have an endless pile of books to read. I mean, I'm going to give everybody a tip on book reading because I read 10 books last month. I already finished a book this month and I'm halfway through two others. So I'm set to like hopefully finishing three or two or three other books by the end of this week, Lord willing. That's my goal. But if you're, if you're like, there's so many books and I don't know how to read even one book, I try to read 10 pages at a time. So if I have a moment and say like I'm on my phone and I could be reading. I just get off my phone and I'm like, I'm going to read 10 pages and I read 10 pages. And if you do that a couple of times through the day, all of a sudden you've read 50 to hundred pages. Mm -hmm. So if I'm pretty diligent about it, I can read anywhere from a hundred to 200 pages a day. If I'm only reading during the day, I could read like 300, 400 pages a day, but I don't do that very often because I have children and responsibilities, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) 10 pages a day, set a goal for yourselves set a goal for yourself and get, get the Goodreads app. Like I'm a very, I'm very motivated by challenges. And so if something's like a challenge, I will be an overachiever. So I love Goodreads because then I can put in every page that I'm on and see that 
I'm making progress to my overall goal, which my overall goal is 75 books a year. I read 75 last year and that's my goal this year. So that's my <laughs> little tip for you. Do you have any tips, Esther? Uh, just read all the books. <laughs> just read I don't think the there's, a, I don't think there's ever been a time where I've finished a book and then thought, man, I regret reading that book. I feel the same way. I don't think I've ever, even if I don't like a book, I still find something from it that I'm like, okay, I learned right. something. Even if it was not a very great novel, sometimes you still can pull yeah. things from it that make you think deeply. I think that's my favorite yeah. thing about reading, even if it's just novels, is yeah. that they make you think deeply and just uh -huh. widen your perspective on just humanity and... I don't know. I love reading so much. That, that even goes with like when you start getting into theology books and you start getting into like theology books that are written by people who are not solid or mm -hmm. just plain out heretics. Like even reading those books is beneficial, I think. I mean, you of course have to be discerning whenever you read them, yeah. but like they're beneficial because you're able to understand, okay, this is what the person actually said. Mm -hmm. And what is this how does this compare to what the bible says yes i just finished a book by a false teacher and i'm reading a book by a false teacher but i'm not going to say who because i don't want other people reading them so you can stalk <laughs> my goodreads if you must but i i totally agree i think it's essential to read false teachers what when you know what you believe and like then maybe do it like I'm not going to tell someone, oh, yeah, you should read the Book of Mormon to understand how to evangelize Mormons if you're not a solid Christian. Like, I'm yeah. going to tell you to go read your Bible and just discuss with Mormons and you can ask them questions, but it might not be wise for you to confuse yourself. But I don't know. I do think it's important. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other thoughts, Esther, before we close out? Nope. All righty. Well, <laughs> ladies. Thank you for joining us. Just as a reminder, we believe that everyone is a theologian and you are either a good one or a bad one. Our hope with our podcast is to stir in women a love for good theology and to encourage women in their faith as they walk in obedience and grow in holiness. We want to remind everyone that our podcast is only a tool. It is not church and it does not replace discipleship. We encourage all of our listeners to find a local church and become a member. And we have resources on our website for those who are seeking a church. And we are always happy to help anyone who is struggling to find a healthy church. You can email us at thebluestockingbaptist at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at thebluestockingbaptist or Twitter at SheBaptists. We also have a Patreon, a, a Patreon if you would like to support us financially. And on a final note, we want to remind you that the Blue Stocking Baptists are a part of the Christian podcasting community. The community can be found on the Striving for Eternity website. Thanks again, ladies, for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed our rambling of books that we enjoy and love. And we hope that you find a love for reading and go pick out a book. <laughs> God bless. <laughs>